And one of the first things was to create a, a network of the states. So, you know, as I jumped in, a couple of states here and there were, were exploring the concept of these auto IRA savings programs. But I thought we could bring a lot by getting states together on a regular basis. DC Pension Geeks brings you exclusive conversations with top retirement policymakers and regulators in and around Washington, D.C., hosted by Brian Graff, an attorney, accountant, former Capitol Hill staffer, and CEO of the American Retirement Association. If you're looking for an insider's view of all the twists and turns that Washington takes on the road to ensuring a secure retirement for millions of Americans, you're in the right place. Welcome to DC Pension Geeks. Hello, everyone in the DC Pension Geek world. After a little bit of a, a break here, we're back. And I'm very fortunate to have another DC Pension Geek. Um, and that's a, that's, a, that's a term of honor, Angela, so don't take it personally. Uh, oh, I'm very, honored. Thank you very much. We're very, uh, very pleased today to have Angela Antonelli, who is a professor at the McCourt School of Public Policy, which is part of Georgetown University here in DC but it was also the executive director of the Center for Retirement Initiatives, which is a very broad term, by the way, Angela. I'm making almost cover anything, but in particular- Not like the American Retirement Association. <laughs> well, true, we're pretty broad as well. Um, she also we get- is a fellow of Cornell graduate, so- uh, oh, that's I'm right, pleased, that's I'm right. To, to, to have a, another- Go uh, Big Red, yes, go- indeed another Cornell alum um, on the, on the DC pension geeks. Uh, But uh, the, the Georgetown uh, center for retirement initiatives, really what um, has been kind of extraordinary in terms of the the space that they've occupied them. And obviously I want Angela to kind of talk about the, the history of the center is particular with respect to uh, the initiatives that States have been adopting that we've been talking about as an organization for many years that have been adopting to uh, require employers, some employers above a certain size to have a plan as well as to establish, you know, a default uh, state-based auto IRA program um, for those small businesses. So uh, welcome Angela. And, you know, let's start with how did you, how did you end up in this, in this wonderful world of retirement policy? Well, in addition to now being a pension geek, I'm just a policy geek. So I've spent my whole career in Washington, time in government service and in the private sector and consulting and in think tanks. And, you know, I've tackled a wide variety of economic uh, policy issues over my career. Um, I guess my problem is I love each and every one of them. And whatever whatever issue I tackle, I hope to make hope to have an impact, you know, for those of us who live in the policy world, that's, that's really what it's about. We hope to, to be able to, to make a difference and help to improve, help to improve lives in measurable ways. So this is just the latest. I think, you know, at this point in my career, you know, having seen a lot uh, with respect to, you know, as we get older, and from a policy perspective, uh, this opportunity really came up. And having done work in housing and in health and a lot of other issues, when retirement, uh, this retirement opportunity came up to create the Center for Retirement Initiatives, I immediately thought of all of these things related to aging and the challenges of an aging population. And I thought, gee, you know, given my experience in health and housing and a lot of other issues, you know, I really could take this on, hopefully, and bring a lot to it. And 
and, and make a difference. And I hope that's what we have been doing, as you mentioned, yeah. in the context of these latest state retirement programs. So, so talk about specifically, you know, what does the center do in terms of its role in promoting state-based plan, coordinating and discussions among you, you guys do events, give, mm-hmm. give the whole, give the whole kind of series of things that, that CRI is up to. Yeah. So, you know, in building the center, I think just based on my experience, again, of of years of working on policy issues, I think one of the most important first things that I did, you know, our, the mission when I created the center was to, in fact, help advocate and advance the state facilitated retirement savings programs and work with the states to do that. And one of the first things was to create a, a network of the states. So, you know, as I jumped in, a couple of states here and there were, were exploring the concept of these auto IRA savings programs, but I thought we could bring a lot by getting states together on a regular basis. So that was one of the first things, create and build out the network. And now for eight plus years, I've been hosting a monthly meeting of the states. And I think that's proven to be very valuable. And it's a great networking um, opportunity for the states to share information, best practices, and lessons learned. Certainly, as time has gone by, programs are being implemented. Um, But also as part of that for CRI, it's, you know, again, my experience is was to also build us out as a clearinghouse. We sort of wanted to be the go-to for everything related to state-facilitated retirement savings programs. So in addition to the network and playing a hands-on technical assistance role with the states, creating that clearinghouse and state resource center, which allows states, certainly the newer ones as they come, to more quickly get up that learning curve uh, and be able to learn from what other states have done and help them move their programs along. So again, the network, the provision of technical assistance, both in terms, terms of the legislation and working with states that are interested in moving bills along to enact new programs, right through to implementation, program implementation, which a number of states are now in that phase, and being that technical resource and clearinghouse for everything state-related. And the network over time has now evolved into an also an annual meeting of the states that we host. And we just hosted our fifth annual meeting uh, at UCLA in January. So from from the states, are, are these like the state treasurers or the executive directors of the program, some of both? It's it's all of that. It can be the elected officials. It can be staff supporting the programs, the executive directors and others in the treasurer's office or other offices that are supporting those programs. And also, obviously, if we're working through the legislative sessions, we work with legislative staff as well. So it really runs the gamut of 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 all uh government officials and stakeholder organizations with an interest in advancing these state programs. So how do you guys promote um, the idea of uh, comparable programs in states that haven't adopted uh, an auto IRA, you know, an auto IRA program at like California, for example? Yeah, so uh, obviously now we're really excited as we're talking, Brian, we're now up to 18 states. It looks like we have two new programs so far. Hopefully we'll add perhaps another one uh, in 2023. But, you know, for states that look at that and think about... Before you, you, let me interrupt there. Mm -hmm. What's the news? You got, you know, tell tell us about... The breaking news as we're talking. No, it's, it's an exciting week for us to be connecting because we now have 
two new programs so far in the 2023 legislative sessions. On average, historically, we've always had a, a, at least a couple of new programs. So Missouri just passed a voluntary multiple employer plan arrangement, so voluntary 401k. So we're excited to see Missouri um, be willing to consider an option um, and to, to adopt that program. And then more most recently, we're seeing Minnesota legislature having enacted a new auto IRA program. That is on top of the state of Vermont, which had a map now converting to an auto IRA program. And these auto IRA states are states in which employers are required to do something. That means if an employer is not already offering a plan, they have to do something, which means they can go out in the private sector and adopt a plan, um, which is absolutely fine. The goal is to get people covered. However, if they choose not to to go out and adopt their own 401k or even an IRA, then at at a minimum, what they're being asked to do is allow their workers the opportunity to be auto-enrolled, and they can always opt out so it's voluntary for employees, but allow their workers the opportunity to save using the state facility facilitated IRA. So that's, it's an exciting it's an exciting time for the states. It, it is exciting and um you know I, I'm glad you mentioned Vermont too because I think um you know a lot of people have asked let me spend a little time talking about the difference between Missouri and what Missouri did in and Minnesota and and Vermont. Missouri just created and a few states have done this Vermont being an example mm-hmm. where they started with some type of you know map that the state would create that would make available to uh, small businesses if they want to, you know, find a plan. Washington has something comparable. There hasn't been a huge amount of take up, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. Right. Uh, and I, I think you agree with respect to these kinds of programs, but I think both of us see them as more like seeds mm-hmm. where, you know, the state's sort of, da- you know, starting to dabble in this uh, concept of doing something. And then hopefully it grows to the full blown program like Vermont just did, which was to take its the map that really wasn't doing very much and now make it into a full-blown program where there's two components. One is the requirement to have a plan, as you pointed out, as well as the default uh, you know, program, mm-hmm. the auto IRA run by the state treasury department usually, mm-hmm. um, that that where employers where they're, you know, where they may not be looking for something with the private sector have the option of using the state program. Right. And I, and I think, you know, this is a great example. What I think, and I think organization believes a perfect example, of what can be described as a public private partnership, because, you know, the state is making the requirement is sort of the base lever to mm-hmm. encourage employers to finally do this. And then there's a, bevy of different options, depending on what that small business might be looking for. Um, do you think the financial services industry is finally getting that message, particularly given what people are now seeing in California, which is you know a huge growth in yep. retirement plans? Yeah, no, I, I definitely think the industry has seen the opportunities now that the 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 states have now presented 
through, quite honestly, the leadership of saying, look, you know, policymakers have to solve policy problems. And the fact that, you know, 57 million workers, half the private sector workforce goes to work every day and doesn't have an employer have access to an employer sponsored plan is a real challenge because we know people are not saving enough for retirement. And, you know, so the, the states have said, look, they've jumped in and we're going to offer, you know, these simple, low cost ways to save. But, you know, in doing that, they are putting that out, putting out there the the ask of employers that they have to do something. Um, and the reality is when, uh, you know, initially, Brian, when when I started the center and we started working with the states on this, you know, the industry was was a bit um was a bit skeptical, and I think they maybe thought that it was going to be more of a threat to to what they were doing. And the reality is, uh, I think I believed in others that you know over time it would be this blend of public and private. So where policymakers have to solve policy challenges, and took the initiative to create this savings program that would be there for workers in their state. At the end of the day, if the private sector is able to be innovative and develop simple, low cost options that are attractive to employers and employers adopt plans of their own, then that's all good. So it's not about who's doing it, but it's about getting it done. And what we're seeing now, hopefully, that it is going to be this blend of both public and private sector working very well together to fill the access gap. Exactly. And, you know, another way I I, I describe it as, you know, a a bigger pie with more people participating benefits everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's exciting to see, you know, as these programs are now implemented, what we'll see both between public and private sector. And again, you know, we can touch on Secure 2.0 if you wanted. Again, there's a lot of things in Secure 2.0 that hopefully will be helpful to to the industry. Uh, to continue to innovate. We've seen a lot of innovation already in a short period of time, but continue to innovate and, you know, offer incentives also to make it easier for employers to adopt plans. Yeah. I mean, you know, employers in Vermont and in Minnesota that are now uh, required to have a plan, um, they're going to get, right, because they're doing automatic enrollment, they're going to get $500 from the federal government Mm -hmm. just just for doing it. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. You know, and, you know, for a small business, that that can mean something in addition to, you know, covering the cost of any, you know, admin costs they might have mm-hmm. uh, for adopting a new plan. So it's, you know, the, those incentives in Secure 2.0, really, I, I would make the argument in many, in, in large respect, make this a sort of a, in these states, essentially a cost-free requirement. And so you're helping your employees, the government's helping you with any costs that you might have. And uh, hopefully what we've, I think you can speak to this better than I can, what you found in states where there has already been a a requirement that the reaction by these, you know, employers has been very positive. No, absolutely. And I think that that support for the program only grows over time in the states with these programs as employers become even more familiar with them. They are really simple and easy to use, and they were designed to really keep all burden off of the employer and make it as easy for the employee as possible. So, so yes, I mean, there's there has been only growing support. We have, certainly haven't seen anything going in the other direction, but anything other than just growing support. Can you talk a little bit about where you think the next states might uh, be coming down the pike? 
Well, uh, you know, I think the good thing is as we're getting close to 20 states, we've got a lot of the the more populous states. Um, I will say I don't expect to see states like Texas and Florida do anything uh, with respect to these types of programs. That being said, uh, you know, in New England, if you look geographically, New England, all, every we hope every state, probably short of New Hampshire, uh, might have a program very soon. So Rhode Island is the one state that is considering action, and we hope they might right. actually get it done in 2023. You know, as we move down the East Coast, Pennsylvania is considering legislation. Delaware already has a bill. Maryland has a program. Virginia has a program. We're hoping the District of Columbia, we hope to close that hole between Maryland and Virginia, because workers obviously move uh, and work uh, in D.C. and Maryland and Virginia, and they've expressed um, some interest in doing that as well. So you keep moving down the coast, then we start getting to the Carolinas, and we'll have to see. I think that will take a little bit more of an effort with North states like North Carolina. We need, a, we need a, an SEC strategy. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, and then you move towards the Midwest. Again, Missouri's a pickup. Uh, states like Kansas and others have considered legislation. Illinois already has a program. Um, you know, the reality is when we move sort of out West a little bit, we've got a lot of red states. People know that politically more more conservative. And that's a little bit more challenging. But, you know, my hope is over time, as we continue to show the success in the implementation of these programs, you know, really, if you look at the assets accumulated in programs to date, um, you know, in 2023, we're going to hit a billion dollars in assets administered in these programs. And again, keep in mind, we're talking about 16 programs. We're adding two, so we'll get to 18 this year. But of all of those programs, these assets so far in the most mature states, it's really three to four states. So California, Oregon, Illinois, and Connecticut. Yep. And that's not even counting those assets. They're not even counting all those employers that have, have decided to go with a private sector plan. Exactly. That's I mean, we've new coverage too. Yeah. I mean, we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of workers, uh, gosh, probably 160 will quickly hit 200,000 employers. But again, to your point, how many other thousands of employers in these states have also adopted plans of their own? But to think about a billion dollars in saver accounts that, you know, were not for just these three or four programs wouldn't be there and we wouldn't have these accounts and potentially these workers not saving. I don't know how you cannot look at that. And then as I say that to more conservative states, why wouldn't you want to make it as easy as possible for workers in your state to be able to save their own money and build financial security for retirement? I don't know how anyone can say no to that. So Angela, tell us, tell us where people can find out more information about CRI. So you can find our website at CRI dot georgetown dot edu so and again you know hopefully in terms of the information that we have available on our site there's a lot there in terms of guides and information that you can click through and learn more about these state programs interactive maps yeah Yeah. we have a bunch of different interactive maps and data um, and we do track so we have a data tab and you can look at how the assets are accumulating in these state programs as well as the development for those people who are in a state that hasn't or is thinking about doing this, you'll see there's some information about 
the the progress that's happening with respect to legislative activity is that correct yes i mean we have some detail publicly and then other detail little uh you know behind our wall but yes there's definitely a tracking you can see on the map on our homepage uh the states that have introduced bills in 2023 as well as see which states are the program states and be able to click through on that map for the program states to get additional information and go to a variety of different sites that they maintain as well as data and information Fantastic, Angela. Thank you so much for your time. Keep up the great work. Thanks. And it's a pleasure to uh, to have this uh, podcast, do this with you, Brian, but also to work with ARA. We really appreciate the, the partnership. 